we are coming right up on the Mind Body Health Show. And we have an excellent guest lined up for you. Dr. Marvin Trotter is here and about to be live in the studio. In the meantime, our guest is Dr. Erica Valvid. Valdovinos, an emergency medical physician at Ukiah Adventist Hospital. And do we have you with us, doctor? I'm right here. Hey, welcome to Mind Body Health. And welcome intrepid host, Dr. Marvin Trotter, who has braved traffic this morning and then some. Yeah, three, three, um, three big trucks on 253 and a work stop on the road, but I'm here. And it's Valdovinos. Erica? Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. It's okay. Hi. Hi. Well, you have a great outline you sent me. This is going to be a great show. And actually, people that are listening, I think you're going to find out a lot of things that you don't uh, really understand about strokes, etc. Um, and my first question is, Erica, how did you get to Mendocino County? Thank you. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. I'm happy to be here. Um, you know, I'm originally from Portland, Oregon, and I came down to the Bay Area for college and medical school, and I trained at Highland Hospital in Oakland. And after I finished residency, I started working up here in Ukiah, which is, of course, very different from working in an urban trauma center. But I love it. I love the community. It's beautiful up here. Um, and it's really wonderful taking care of um, such a small and close-knit community. You know, you take care of a patient who says, oh, you took care of my son last month, and that's really special and something you don't get everywhere. So I'm happy to be part of the team. Well, we're happy that you're here. Um, Just for people to understand that uh, the Oakland uh, Highland Residency ER program is one of the best in the country, and we have several people from there, all of which are very well trained, and um, we're lucky to have them in the community. So, um, I don't know how, let's start with the definition of stroke, or however you want to start it. You have a great outline. Um, What would you like to start with first? Yeah, well, I think, you know, first, stroke's a really important health issue. I think everybody probably knows someone in their life that they care about who's had a stroke, Um, Almost 800,000 people a year in the U.S. have a stroke. So this is a big deal, and it affects a lot of people. Um, But that said, I think you're right. We can get into some stuff that maybe not everyone understands clearly about strokes. So there's a couple different kinds of strokes. There's the strokes where there's not enough blood flow to the brain, and these are the most common strokes, and these are called ischemic strokes. And these strokes can be caused when a blood clot blocks an artery in the vein or years of damage to the small vessels in the brain from high blood pressure and diabetes. And these are the strokes that people think of. You know, they they um, present with someone having weakness on one side of their face, like a facial droop or one arm and leg not working well. But they can also be more subtle, like all of a sudden having double vision or trouble walking or difficulty finding words which might make it look like the patient's just confused. Yes, and, and I think the one of the important things you said um, on your outline was 34% of people who have strokes are less than 35, 
I think that a lot of people think this is your 82-year-old grandmother or grandfather, but stroke is a, a big thing for a lot of, a lot of folks. Um, why don't you go over, since, let's start, I thought you had some great um, people for an outline. Um, you want to start with your typical ischemic stroke. Uh, I think it's interesting for people to hear the stories behind when they come to the ER and when they get there. Yeah. Yeah, we can start with these typical ischemic strokes, and then we'll come back to the second kind of stroke. And I just wanted to make sure um, 34% of people who have stroke are under 65. So not quite as young as 35, but still a really young, oh, did you I know, say working. 35? Yeah, patient oh, sorry, population. 65. I don't want to scare people. <laughs> 65, 65. 65, yeah. So, yeah, we have um, a case here. And uh, so, Marvin, this is a 65-year-old gentleman who was sitting and eating dinner with his wife when all of a sudden, right in front of her, his right arm seemed to be not working, his right face started to droop, and he was having trouble talking. It seemed like he could understand his wife, um, but then when he tried to talk, none of the words that he said actually made sense, and this was really unusual for him. And so uh, she did the right thing. She called 911 right away, and... Uh, EMS arrived, and they brought the patient to the emergency department. And our hospital, Adventist Health Ukiah Valley, is a certified stroke center. And that's through the Joint Commission, along with the American Stroke Association and American Heart Association. And so they came straight to our stroke center hospital, and they told us on their way there, you know, this is, a, um, this is what they do. They tell us a, a stroke is coming, and it's an early stroke. And so as soon as the patient gets there, You'll hear overhead uh, code stroke in the emergency department, and that allows the entire team to come directly to the patient's bedside before they're even off the ambulance gurney. So a lot of things happen all at once. The patient would get his vital signs checked. He would be seen by the emergency physician, and he would actually be taken to the CT scanner even before being put in an emergency department bed because the goal is that that code stroke patient gets their CT of the head within 10 minutes. Um, and tell them the importance of why that's done first. So the first thing we have to do is you remember that I was saying there's two types of strokes. There's the ischemic stroke with a blockage of blood flow to the brain, and then there's another stroke where you actually have bleeding in the brain. And as you can imagine, the two treatments are very, very different. And one of the tools we use to tell the difference is a CT scan. And so the first thing we have to do is get a CT scan to make sure this isn't one of the bleeding type of strokes. And so the earliest we do this, the sooner we can start treatment for the patient. So this guy comes back from the CT scan and he doesn't have a, he does not have a hemorrhagic stroke. That's right. There's no blood in his brain. So we can, we think this is probably an ischemic stroke or a blockage of blood flow to the brain. And as soon as he gets back to the CT, from the CT scanner, the emergency physician is getting more information from the patient and his wife and finishing a full exam. So it's really important for us to know when the patient was last normal and what medications the patient is taking. And, you know, a lot of times the patient will tell us when they first notice the symptoms. You know, I went over to my dad's house two hours ago and his speech was slurred. But what we really want to know is when's the last time someone saw that patient normal? And... And that's a big deal. 
Yeah, that's a really big deal because if the patient arrives within three hours of when they were last normal, then that patient can qualify um, potentially for all of the treatments that we have available to us for stroke. In some cases, we can give those treatments up to 4.5 hours. The best chance for the patient, though, to arrive to the emergency department within three hours of when they were last normal. So go back to this guy. He arrives. You're at your bedside. You've got his CT scan and his blood work. Um, What are you going to do with him? So the next time goal is that within 25 minutes, we've also had the patient seen by a neurologist, by telemedicine. Now, we have stroke neurologists available to us 24-7. They call back essentially instantaneously, and we're able to set up um, a a video in the room so that they can get the same exam that we can get in person, and the emergency physician speaks to them by phone as well. And we should have a formal result from the CT scan of the head of that patient within 25 minutes. Now, our goal is that if together with the neurologist and the emergency physician and the patient's family, we decide to give the patient one of our treatments for stroke, which is a blood clot um, uh, breaking up medication, then we want to give it within 45 minutes of the patient getting to the emergency department. So it's a really short timeline. And that's why UVMC has the designation of a stroke center. We went through a lot of stuff to get this uh, arranged. As you can imagine, within 45 minutes, Dr. Valadinos has a neurologist, a radiologist, a CT scan report, blood work done, et cetera, et cetera, trying to make sure this is a safe thing to do for this patient because it's not an not a um, harmless drug. That's right. And, it, you know, it's not, um, it's definitely a team-based decision, and you're right about all the specialists. And then all of the nurses and laboratory technicians and radiology technicians that are involved are also essential. So we really work as a team. This is something we're comfortable with doing every day. So what happens if you decide to give them TPA or discuss TPA? Or I guess you did some. Yeah. So Marvin, you're referencing that medication, which is one of the treatments we have for stroke. Um, It's a medicine called TPA been around for more than a couple of decades now. What that medicine does is it breaks up blood clots, and the goal is that if we give it early enough, that it would hopefully break up the the blood clot that's causing the stroke. Um, It's a very powerful medication. If you break up blood clots, you can imagine that that can also lead to too much bleeding. So we need to be very careful about who we give it to and when we give it to make sure that it's it's a a safe choice. Um, But in some cases, uh, that medicine is the right choice for the patient, and in some cases it can um, lead to, to better recovery for patients. So you want to go to the next patient, or I want to, uh, did you have, a, um, I wanted to also talk about TIA. So do you want to finish this patient, or? Um... Yeah, so let's say this guy gets TPA. He goes to the ICU. He's, he's watched very closely over the next 24 hours to days. He's going to get physical therapy, occupational therapy, and then we do additional testing in the hospital to try to figure out why he had a stroke and to try to prevent another stroke. But yeah, let's talk about TIAs, Marvin. Well, just one one second here. You know, I, I want to shout out the physical therapists because, mm. you know, when you've had a stroke 
after you've gotten through this acute phase, whether or not you got TPA or not, physical therapy is a huge issue on whether or not you um, uh, recover recovery well, do a good recovery. Uh, physical therapy is a big deal. Um, and we have a great team at UVMC. Um, so let's talk about TIAs because I think that, you know, it's upstream um, stuff I want to, I want the listeners to hear also. Yeah. So let's, let's do another case. I think we already emphasized the importance of getting to the, the ER quickly okay. if you see someone with stroke symptoms. Um, and so in this case, that's just what happened. There's an 84-year-old woman who is sitting at home watching TV with her grandson when all of a sudden her speech becomes slurred. And, he's ve- and her grandson is very concerned. So he, he's heard about strokes before, so he drives her straight to the emergency department. And by the time they check in, all of her symptoms are totally gone just as soon as they started. So what's up with that, Marvin? She missed the bullet. <laughs> um, she yeah. got lucky. Um, she has yeah. a TIA, a transient ischemic attack, which actually by MRIs are saying that they really did have a stroke, but it's a tiny one and they resolve their symptoms. That's right. So a TIA is like the brain's warning sign to the patient. You know, and I tell patients sometimes we're actually fortunate that this happened because it gave us a heads up that you are at high risk for stroke. And so we can figure out why that is and see if there's some risks that we can adjust so that you don't have a, a full-blown stroke in the future. I can speak directly to this, doctor. Uh, this is Cobb. Uh, my mother had a TIA, transient ischemic attack, and literally what happened, she was out working on a summer afternoon. Uh, she spoke a few words of gibberish to my father, who knew just enough to be like, hey, that was gibberish, and my mom said, no, I didn't, I didn't talk funny at all, and my dad said, you're going to the hospital right now, and that was the only sign or symptom that my mom experienced was a few words of gibberish. They took her to the hospital, uh, immediately uh, sent her onward to the emergency care related to stroke. Um, and again, it was transient. She was doing fine, but uh, they found that both her carotid arteries were very nearly completely blocked, and she got immediate surgery for that. And the rest of her uh, health was doing great. All of her other circulatory system was in fantastic health and so she got those two areas of extreme blockage uh, cleared and you know ongoing monitoring some ongoing medications related to that but has had a very uh, healthy life many years afterwards that's a great and it's a great story for two reasons it's a classic TIA sort of thing a and B that your grandfather picked up on that fairly small, you know, episode. But, uh, Erica, talk about uh, carotid versus your MCA or, you know, that sort of thing, and so people understand that story. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story. I'm I'm glad your mom's doing well. Um, So when we're looking for risk factors for stroke, we always think of risk factors that are sort of a little more work to address, like high blood pressure and diabetes and high cholesterol and smoking and 
all these things are important, but it, it takes a lot of effort and time. And then sometimes we're talking about things like your carotid arteries, which are the big blood vessels in your neck that go to your brain. Sometimes those can actually get blocked as a result of um, high cholesterol and things like that. And so in certain cases, they'll do surgery which it sounds like um, your mom had, to to open those blood vessels up to reduce the chance of a stroke in the future. Um, Marvin also mentioned that sometimes you can get a stroke that's caused by a blood clot in one of the big vessels in your brain, and these are often caused by an abnormal heart rhythm called atrial fibrillation, which is super common, especially as we get older. I think probably everyone has someone in their family with atrial fibrillation or AFib, and when you have that, your heart doesn't pump in an organized fashion, and so it can lead to some, some blood clots. And if one of those blood clots shoots straight up to a, a blood vessel in your brain, you can have a big stroke. Um, and so these are there's a, a bunch of different types of stroke, and there's different treatments and ways to prevent them depending on, on what the cause is. So the bottom line is when someone does have a TIA, um, we treat these in the hospital typically similarly to strokes. We get imaging of the brain, and we look for the causes of the stroke, and we start treatments to prevent a future stroke. Very good. Um, you want to go on to your next case, or what, how would you yeah. like to proceed? Well, let's talk about something a little bit different, which is the, the bleeding strokes or okay. the hemorrhagic yeah. strokes. These aren't... Yeah, yeah, these aren't as common, Good. We didn't do that. but they're yeah. still really important. They're yeah. ugly. <laughs> yeah, so these are caused by bleeding in the brain, and that can happen when a weakened blood vessel ruptures, like an aneurysm, and they can look like some of the strokes we've been talking about earlier, or it could be more subtle, like a very severe headache or confusion and vomiting or even just passing out and losing consciousness. And tell them about AVMs, because I don't think people think about this when they're 25 or 30 or whatever. So, just like an aneurysm, which is an abnormality in the blood vessel, there's uh, another abnormality in the blood vessels in the brain called an AVM, which is basically um, is just almost like a spider web of blood vessels. Instead of being sort of nice and linear and organized, the blood vessels develop in such a way that it a little unorganized in a spot and these blood vessels are, are prone to rupture and bleeding and you could walk around for 30 40 years and not know that you had one of these because it doesn't cause any problems until it starts to bleed and this is why one of the reasons that young people can get this type of stroke yeah and it's surprising how some people will come in with i just had the most severe headache of my life and nothing else and Depending on the rest of their history, they get a spinal tap, which will show blood in their cerebral fluid, and you end up uh, doing imaging and finding that they have an AVM and getting a clip or a, a coil put in and prevents them from having a hemorrhagic stroke. Um, one thing that I'd like you to just to mention, because I see this uh, way too often and people don't think about it, is methamphetamines and hemorrhagic strokes. Yeah, so methamphetamines, unfortunately, are a huge risk factor for hemorrhagic stroke. Um, and this is when we, another reason that we tend to see these bleeding strokes in younger people. 
And I just can't emphasize enough how, how devastating this type of stroke can be uh, because when there's bleeding in the brain, um, the treatments are less, less straightforward in many cases. And it, it can be a devastating stroke that leads to, to death and disability. Methamphetamines, unfortunately, are a big risk factor for this type of stroke. They're also a risk factor for ischemic stroke um, in younger people. And so this is something that, you know, is a big deal everywhere. Um, but I think that um, is a really important risk factor for stroke in young people. So I'm going to take a moment here uh, and say to our listeners that you're tuned to KZYX. This is the Mind Body Health Show. Uh, my name's Cobb. I'm engineering. Uh, our host is Dr. Marvin Trotter, and our guest today is Dr. Erica Val Valdivinos. Did I say your name correctly? That was really good. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, and we're talking about strokes. And I wonder, Doctor, uh, for listeners that may have just tuned in, if you could just recap the signs and symptoms of stroke and the importance of identifying them early. And then we'll swing yeah. back to where we've been. A repeat yeah. uh, presentation. So one um, little tool that I like that the American Heart Association has is something called FAST, which can help people remember. So FAST, F is for face drooping, A is for arm weakness, and S is for speech difficulty. This could be slurred speech or problems with language. And P stands for a time to call 911, so don't wait. Uh, if you see any of those signs, get the patient to the hospital immediately. Other symptoms of stroke could be any sudden weakness or numbness, especially if it's on one side, and really any sudden symptom like sudden confusion, sudden trouble with walking or dizziness or balance, or even, as we are just talking about, a sudden severe headache. Um, there are treatments available for strokes, so it's really important to get to a hospital as quickly as possible so that all the potential treatments are available to you. I have patients who have told me that they didn't want to bother someone in the middle of the night for a ride to the hospital right. or yeah, go ahead. Who thought that calling, you know, people think, oh, I don't want to call 911 just because my hand doesn't work in the middle of the night. Maybe it'll be better by the morning. And we're reminding people that um, if you identify any of these signs and take somebody to the hospital uh, with stroke symptoms, we're keeping a close eye out for the last time that this patient was normal. Uh, and that's a huge assistance in terms of the medical team working with that person. Yep. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. Not just when you first noticed that their speech was slurred, but when were they last normal? Because you don't want, the reason is that you don't want to put them at risk to give them TPA or these blood thinners if it's not going to help their stroke because they do have a risk of causing bleeding themselves. That's right. And, you know, I just wanted to mention one more thing about our hospital. I know some people in recent months have been avoiding hospitals because of concern for COVID, but Stroke is, is an emergency, and so if there's signs or symptoms of stroke, I would not delay coming to the hospital uh, for any reason, um, and that would include lack of transportation. If that's an issue, I would call 911. Any concern about cost or insurance or immigration status, all those things, we treat everyone, and so anyone with stroke symptoms should come straight to the ER. So I have a question, doctor. Uh, for a patient that gets treatment for stroke, 
what is the likelihood of full recovery versus uh, you know ongoing symptoms related to that stroke event? That's a really good question, and it's a tough one to answer in this sort of hypothetical. I do always know that when I see someone in the ER with a stroke, I'm probably seeing them, in most cases, at their worst. And so whether they get treatment or not, many, many people improve. Um, But whether they have a full recovery depends on a lot of things, including how healthy they are to begin with and what caused the stroke. It also depends, um, Cobb, on how much ischemic damage you had. How big is the stroke? Mm-hmm. Some people, your um, carotid artery um, divides into three arteries in your brain. Most caused, most strokes are caused in the middle cerebral artery, which feeds the um, your you know ability to move your arms and legs in the middle of your brain. Um, and it depends on if it's the size of a dime or it's the size of your you know, palm of your fist. I mean, it's it, it depends on how big the stroke is. Also, how what's the rest of the blood vessels in your body doing, et cetera, and how good the physical therapy is, How, like she says, how healthy you are to mm-hmm. rehab. Um, but um, that's sort of uh, down the road. I think the FAST exam, getting the best treatment, getting yourself accessed. Uh, but the quicker you do all of this, the better your outcome is. Um, I'd like to talk just a little bit about um, atrial fibrillation just because I went through atrial fibrillation and um, that a lot of people are in AFib and should be on some sort of blood thinner. I went through an ablation where they put a catheter in my heart and scarred up the inside of the top of my heart so I'm back in normal sinus rhythm. But with atrial fibrillation, your heart is fluttering or quivering at 400 beats a minute and then you have a variable rate. It can be a slow AFib at you know 35 beats a minute or fast AFib at 235 a minute. But this clots that form in the top of your heart from atrial fib can flip off and give you a stroke. Everybody with atrial fib ought to be on something. And the reason to get the TIAs is you should immediately go on aspirin. And if the aspirin, if you have a TIA while on aspirin, there's other drugs uh, to, that you should be placed on, again, to thin your blood properly, as, as you do with strokes. Um, and being an internist, I'm just going to bring up is that if you don't want to have strokes, um, think about your smoking. If you don't want to have strokes, think about control of your blood pressure and your diabetes. If you don't want to have strokes, think about your cholesterol. Because a lot, this is, this is the waterfall of medicine is when you're rushing in an ambulance and you can't move the right side of your body. There's a lot of stuff to be done upstream, see your primary care doctor, etc., to try to try to prevent these things from happening. Yeah, that's an important point and I think for a lot of people, especially, you know, a- active people, uh, having a stroke is is one of the worst things that that they can imagine. And so Anything we can do to reduce people's risk of stroke is going to lead to a better quality of life. You know, I'm just stuck in pun world, folks, and when Marvin talks about prevention and upstream care, I just keep thinking about different strokes for different folks, and uh, I'll leave it at that. 
when you were talking about uh, methamphetamine use earlier, why is that such a high risk for stroke? That's a good question. Um, one of the reasons is that methamphetamine dramatically rises the blood pressure. Even in people who are young and healthy and have normal blood pressure, methamphetamine raises the blood pressure um, very high. And especially if people are using methamphetamine frequently, that kind of high blood pressure causes serious damage to the blood vessels themselves. And so it makes the blood vessels more prone to, um, to leaking, like a bleeding stroke. Or it can just cause the blood vessels to have enough damage that um, someone's more likely to have an ischemic stroke as well. And I tell you, when you see a 30-year-old that can't move the right side of their body, no bueno. Yeah. And so what I'm gathering here as far as how a stroke works is when we're talking ischemic, it means that somewhere in the circulatory system, some kind of clot has formed in the blood vessels. And if that clot lodges itself somewhere up in the brain and cuts off blood flow to the brain somewhere, that's when we're going to be experiencing a stroke, correct? Or you have such severe vasoconstriction Mm -hmm. that the blood vessel constricts so hard from the methamphetamines that you have a stroke from that. Oh, wow. And I'll I'll just point out that um, doing palliative care uh, with Lynn Meadows and others at Madrone Care... I can't tell you that it's really sad to see um, 30-year-old methamphetamine addicts who have done this to their heart. You're, when your heart squeezes, 65% of the blood goes out to your body. But with methamphetamines, every time you use methamphetamines, you cause a tiny uh, heart attack from this severe vasoconstriction. And people come in with floppy hearts. They present to Eric in the ER in congestive heart failure and may have 25% ejection fraction of their heart. And they're crippled and have a methamphetamine-induced cardiomyopathy um, from methamphetamines. Do you want to speak to that just for a moment, Erica, so somebody will listen beside, you know, to an expert? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I wanted to touch on that, too, because... I just can't say enough about the the bad effects of methamphetamines on our bodies. Um, So the way that methamphetamines affect the brain in terms of the blood vessels, just like you said, they do the same thing to the heart. They stress the heart so much that a patient who's 35 years old will come in with the heart of, you know, an 85-year-old who's had several heart attacks. And so uh, this is uh, an extremely... Um, debilitating condition because we're not just talking about hospitalization but when your heart doesn't work well you can't even get around without being short of breath Um, and so it's very uncomfortable. Similarly uh, methamphetamines can cause that type of vasoconstriction that Marvin mentioned even to for example blood vessels in the intestines and cause the intestines to die. I mean this is a drug that leaves no part of the body untouched. Please smoke yourself to death. Go out and buy 10 pounds of marijuana. Smoke 10 times a day, but do not use methamphetamines. Is that is that probably not appropriate for Well, PBS? on that note, okay, the right. opinions expressed in this show are those of the individuals expressing them and not the station KZYX, which you are uh, pleasantly tuned to, I hope. Okay. Marvin, uh, I wonder if we could speak... To the the uh, 
stroke treatment program again at Adventist okay. Health Ukiah Valley. Be, how long has that been going on for that definitive care is available uh, locally here? It's been a few years since we went through. I was CMO, so it's been six or seven years at least, right? This is before my time. Yeah. Why don't you discuss that? Just just tell them what happens when you come to the hospital for a stroke, and then we'll start taking phone calls. All right. So as soon as you come to the hospital for a stroke, you will be immediately greeted by a large team. Um, you will be in the CT scanner within 10 minutes. You will have your blood pressure and vital signs checked, labs checked, um, an IV placed. You will see a neurologist by the computer, typically within 25 minutes of getting there as well. And um, a decision will be made about your treatment within 45 minutes. And if you're a candidate for this particular treatment, this medication, it will be started within 45 minutes. I, I just want to say one more thing about a new treatment that we have for stroke available to oh, us. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, we've That's been right. really emphasizing that there's a medication that we can use, ideally within three hours, um, sometimes within 4.5 hours, depending on the patient and the discussion with the family and the neurologist. But um, sometimes people wake up with the stroke symptoms, and they don't know when they were last normal, except that they were last normal when they went to bed at 10 o'clock the night before. So they're out of what we call the window. It's been more than 4.5 hours since they were last seen normal. But this is a debilitating stroke. And we, we um, look at these patients the same way. We rush in the exact same fashion. And in some cases, we're able to see on our CT scan that there's a blockage in one of these big blood vessels in the brain. And now uh, there's a treatment that is done at some hospitals. They are uh, located in San Francisco. Davis does it, where they're actually able to go into those blood vessels in the brain. And this isn't surgery. They do it... Um, via a blood vessel in another part of the body, and they travel up to the blood vessel in the brain, and they can try to remove that clot. And so for some patients, um, this can be revolutionary. And the window in terms of when it can happen is a, is a little bit longer. So if someone wakes up with a stroke, I still want them to rush to the emergency department. Um, and if we need to, and we find one of those blockages, we can have them uh, similarly on a helicopter to one of these comprehensive stroke centers very quickly to see if they're a candidate for one of those treatments. Um, and I can speak to that a little bit, Erica. Um, just working in terms of a volunteer first responder EMT with the ambulance service uh, here in Anderson Valley and how significant it is that we have the definitive care here locally, um, but also that early recognition uh, that we're putting an effort into today on account of how long it takes anybody in Mendocino County just to get to the hospital from out of the hills. I mean, from getting the 911 call to getting to the patient to actually making that assessment and moving them in that direction of care can take almost an hour, not to mention upwards of an hour to move them from their home to the hospital setting, which takes away two-thirds of that time window, potentially. And I want to give a shout-out to Cobb, all the volunteer emergency medical responders. You have no idea how precious um, it is to have people that are going to be wakened up any time of the day or night to try to save your life, and they're doing it on a volunteer basis. 
I'm going to do something unusual that I want you to help me with, uh, Erica. I'm going to take two minutes, and I want to discuss Jaden with you, because I don't think that uh, Georgina Calderon has ever been given the recognition that she deserves for the extraordinary care this five-year-old, four-year-old received uh, 18 months ago. Do you think that's appropriate? Yeah. I mean, I know this is about stroke, but I just want to take two minutes uh, and present this case and have you comment on it just for a moment in recognition of um, Dr. Calderon. Uh, it, it was a four-year-old boy, right? Not, they weren't five. I think that's right. I'm not too familiar with the case, Marvin, yeah. so I'm going to rely on you. Okay. Four-year-old boy. This is a case study of mo the most extraordinary a uh, case I've seen in 30 years of being associated with the ER. Four-year-old boy was riding in a uh, tractor scooper, what is the front loader, with his brother in Potter Valley 18 months ago. Um, family was visiting their brother. Everything was fine. Uh, they hit a slick spot. The two children were thrown out of the uh, front loader um, uh, the older boy was thrown free. The other boy was run over by the large tire of the tractor. Um, uh, Gowan was one of the two people, um, uh, along with Armstrong, that uh, went to, uh, you know, to respond by the ambulance to Potter Valley. It was quite. It was at least 45 minutes before they got them to the emergency department, and Dr. Calderon was the lead physician. And just to tell you that this child uh, came in with blood all over its face. Uh, it was called a head trauma. Um, everybody in the emergency room hospital responded to this. Um, but the, all the blood on the face wasn't due to the tractor going over the child's head. It was over the child's chest, and it was blood from their lungs. Um, the child uh, ruptured both uh Lungs had pneumothoraxes on both sides, uh, lacerated the liver, uh, broke open the spleen, uh, broke the right uh, thigh bone, uh, both of their humeruses in their arms. Um, you get the idea. And this child survived, um, and it was extraordinary. Uh, Dr. Hanna, uh, Dr. Ruggio came. Uh, it involved everybody in the hospital, the lab, the x-ray, um, talking to Children Oakland Hospital. Um, and it was extraordinary to see this kid walking around with a rod in their leg with their spleen out uh, 10 days later at Children's Oakland Hospital, neurologically intact, after getting uh, everything done to this child that I've ever seen done to a patient at UVMC and survived and I'm getting emotional about this, but I'll let you spoke, speak just for a moment, Erica, and then we'll go on with phone calls. Well, you know, this is the type of case that, as an emergency physician, um, gives me chills. And so I really um, can only hope that I would respond in the same way that Dr. Calderon did. Um, and it's really remarkable that the team was able to, to save this, this child's life. Okay, thank you. Uh, thanks for that story, Marvin. It's it's on the UVMC website under Jaden's Jaden's story. It's oh, quite cool. a remarkable thing if you want to look it up. 
There you go, folks. So today, uh, you're listening to KZYX. This is the Mind Body Health Show. Uh, our host is Dr. Marvin Trotter, and we're speaking with Dr. Erica Val Davinas about strokes. And if you have a question for our guest, uh, the number to call is 707-895-2448, and we can get you right into the studio with your question, um, as this caller has done now. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Oh, it wasn't a question. I just had to make a comment. I am a survivor from 2003 of a uh, cement mixer accident. I suffered a 78% brain injury. Couldn't walk and talk. Um, I needed help, but the physicians wouldn't help me, so I took my life into my own hand, and I learned how to walk and talk all over again. At the 2013... My doctor said I had a heart of a 20-year-old. So I took my life into my own hands. I am a miracle story. Nobody wants to hear about, but I am a survivor. I had the accident in 2003 on Elk Mountain Road in Potter Valley. Eleven people survived, and I was the only one injured. I just want to tell you that I am alive, and I am so disgusted with workers' comp, who never took me through the time of helping me get recovery my steering wheel severed my legs, muscles, both of them, where I could not walk. I am so grateful I am alive because I took my life in my own hands, and I was sent to the Santa Rosa Trauma Center, and I just have to say that, and I live in Willits. And thank you, Cobb. My last name is Cobb also. You have a great day. Thanks thank you. for the call. Um, so on that note, I'm glad uh, our caller survived and when we think of survival i wonder if you could speak a little bit to the uh physical therapy side and the recovery side of what a stroke experience is like doctor marvin maybe i'll let you answer this question i think um you might be more familiar with the inpatient side of things okay after you've had a stroke and you you know, most people survive as far as being alert. Almost everybody gets their speech back unless they've had a particular stroke to the speech center of their brain. Um, but then it's uh, after controlling your blood pressure and your diabetes, et cetera, your lipids, it's really a tough assignment with physical therapy and the patient. As this last caller said, it's a struggle. But the sooner and harder you work at physical therapy and having a good physical therapist with you, um, a lot of people recover um, from their stroke because they can rewire or relearn how to do things. And also, when you think about strokes, there's normal brain, there's the dead brain tissue that you see, but around the dead brain tissue, the preumbrum is a at-risk part of your brain. And if you do everything right, that part of the brain comes back. And when it does, you and your body uh, recover a lot. So between the, the medical aspects of it and PT, it's a long struggle. People go on for weeks, if not months, um, getting b their body back. Wow. And we have another caller. Oh, no. All right, well, if you'd like to call in with a question uh, for our guest or our host uh, regarding strokes, the number to call is 707-895-2448. We'll get you live into the studio. 
Uh, again, that's 707-895-2448. I'd like Erica to discuss uh, TIAs again. Oh, do we have another call? Yep. Here we have, we have a call. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Hi. Um, I, I find it very remarkable that I just tuned into your station because um, I, I didn't even realize that I might have been having a stroke. Um, I had two severe headaches. I mean, they took me down to the floor. I'd never had it. I had one a year of, a year ago. Uh, so years ago, and it just, like, it really hurt, and I had to lay, I went and fell on the bed. It was so bad, but then it went away, and I let it go. And then I had one probably about, well, two of them, about eight months ago, and I was in my bathroom, and I went down to the floor. The head, the, my head hurt so tremendously bad. But then I seem to be able to get myself up. I can't. I can't tell you how long it lasts. I can't tell you anything like that. I just know that it's with such a severe pain that, and I can take pain very well. That was in extremely crucial. It was just. It was horrible. Well, the, the that, um, question. I talked the, to my doctor yeah. about it, and she said, "Oh, it's probably a seizure." But I thought I don't have a seizure, so I went to a heart doctor in Ukiah. And he was concerned about, he said, my, he thought my heart was good, but he wanted to have me see a neurologist. But there was no neurologist around here. And there was one in Santa Rosa, I guess. But, I mean, no one followed up, and okay. I didn't know what to do. Okay, go. We'll go over so the I'm signs just, and I'm symptoms like, of potential stress. kind of finding out that. Okay. Erica, do you want to discuss that? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's it's great that you're doing great now. So I would say following up, you know, with your doctor is, is definitely appropriate and working on getting that referral to neurology makes sense. Um, in general, though, you know, we have people who are headachey people and those are people who get, get headaches often and they say, oh, this is a bad headache, but it feels like other headaches. And then there's people who aren't headachey people who never get headaches and all of a sudden they have a new severe headache and those are the headaches I really want to see in the ER. Now, I'm happy to see anyone who has a severe pain, of course, but especially a severe headache, unlike anything you've had before, I would like I would like to see that person in the emergency department. And can we review the, the various signs and symptoms of potential stroke for our listeners uh, for early identification? The warning signs again. Yeah, so any sudden weakness or numbness, especially on one side, any facial droop, any problems with speech, slurred speech or problems with language, sudden problems with walking, dizziness or balance, or a sudden severe headache. Those are the people we want to see in the ER because there's concern for stroke. And again, we're trying to identify those people and activate the 911 system early because there, how long is that window to get them the definitive care they need, doctor? So we would like to see people, if we can, within three hours of when they were last normal, if we're going to make sure they have all the available treatments to them. But the sooner, the better. So basically, folks out there listening, if you notice any of these signs or symptoms uh, in yourself or somebody you're around, uh, your family members, 
um, it's potentially a very severe emergency even if those symptoms uh, go away and it's important that that person gets into a hospital um, as soon as possible because if they are having a stroke um, there's that three hour window of opportunity to get the treatment they need uh, that will help them to best have a full recovery. With that we have another caller. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Great program. I'm glad we have this resource in our community at UVMC. I'm a retired occupational therapist, and I wanted to remind everybody that the full rehabilitation team consists not only of physical therapy, but occupational therapy and speech therapy. And so that's the the three-legged ladder of a rehab team. And also I wanted to make a comment about my caseload. Twenty years ago, probably three-fourths of our caseload in the hospital and home health and in nursing homes consisted of stroke patients. And when I retired in 2015, our caseload maybe had one or two stroke patients a month. So you guys in the hospitals and patients are becoming more aware and you're doing something right. So thank you for that. Thank you. And and they are distinct fields. Uh, occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy are all three very uh, um, separate fields, and all of them do a great job. Good point. Thanks for that call. Um, on that regard, as far as the care people get, is all of this, like... Do people typically have insurance to cover all that therapy? Are you aware of that? For for, for Medicare, they do. Uh, it isn't always the case with everything else, but um, most insurance companies, if you have insurance, covers all of this. Um, the question is how long of a therapy window that they allow and that sort of thing. But in the hospital, you get all the occupational speech, physical therapy, uh, until you're stable enough to go to another facility. Wow. And it isn't always to a nursing home. You can go to a specialized care place mm-hmm. as well. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Yes, thank you. Hello. Um, I just wanted to uh, share what happened in my case and my father's case. And my father... When he was 86, he had a couple of TIAs, which were not treated in that way, but I recognized the symptoms. And he went in and had carotid artery blockage as well, like the other person said earlier. And they went started to do the procedure of going up in the vein to clear that. And during the time they were doing that, he had a major stroke and ended up partially recovering, but, but that's, so there's also hazards to doing those kind of things. Um, and my story, the one that is more pertinent to me was this past February, I was uh, uh, at a friend's house visiting in Palm Desert, and uh, I was overtired from driving down there, and probably low blood sugar, and 
we were talking, getting ready for dinner, and all of a sudden I started my I, what they call word salad. I was talking gibberish for just a couple of minutes, and then it passed. And I'm not really a very good candidate for a stroke in terms of health, so although I knew the symptoms, I didn't go for help. And then the following day, I went to the VA hospital in Loma Linda, and they kept me for a day, and they did wonderful checkup and everything, but they could see no sign of TIA. And that's my story. The question I have is, are there other things that can cause um, the scrambled uh, speech like that? Because I'm not convinced that I had a TIA. They, they could see no, there was no sign of it by then. It was 24 hours later. Okay, Erica, there. you want to answer? Well, yeah, it's, it's like you're a plant on our show because this was something we wanted to discuss <laughs> but didn't get to yet. Um, so oftentimes when someone comes in with signs and symptoms of a stroke, we go through this process because stroke is one of the most time-sensitive things. It's one of the things we have to diagnose and address quickly. But it's often not a stroke. Sometimes it's that someone is overtired or that their electrolytes are, are out of whack or maybe they're dehydrated or they have an infection, possibly a seizure. Even migraines can do strange things like this. So sometimes you're right. Sometimes it's not a stroke. Um, and sometimes it, it was a TIA, and they might not find any signs of it. There's TIAs that, that leave a footprint on the MRI, uh, like Marvin was saying, even after the symptoms go away. But there's, there's TIAs where they're completely silent. And so the most important thing to do is to get yourself to the hospital like you did and let them do all the testing, and if they find any risk factors for stroke that they can address to reduce your risk in the future, that's great. Um, if not, you know, it's possible that there was something else going on. And in people who've had a stroke in the past and then completely recovered, sometimes if they get sick, like they get a urinary tract infection or something, we'll see those old stroke signs come back. And it doesn't mean they've had another stroke. It just means that uh, their body is kind of weakened from whatever else it's dealing with, and so those old stroke symptoms come through. Well, that's pretty compelling that well, those symptoms can come back. Yeah, and that well, and also when you have symptoms like that, um, it's unusual that hypoglycemia does or low blood sugar does that in a non-diabetic. And if I was over fifty-five and I really did have word salad. Even with a normal MRI, I don't know how how hard you'd have to push me to start me on a baby aspirin a day. The 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 pathophysiology is just like um, heart attacks. A lot you have this cholesterol build up, but if you have a rupture or an irregular plaque, uh, the first thing that happens is that you get this platelet dam, much like beavers make dams in a river with sticks. You get a platelet dam in the narrowed part, and then you don't get blood flow past that. And aspirin is very effective at making your platelets slippery. And um, I was on um, antiplatelet therapy for a year, and uh, now I'm just taking a baby aspirin. So, Doctor, we have just a few minutes left in the show, but I wonder if you could uh, speak quickly to how many stroke patients you've been seeing in the ER. We get... 
with this treatment available at UVMC, how many folks are coming in with strokes? It's quite You know, durable. I actually yeah. don't, I don't have our community statistics. I don't know if Marvin does, but I will say that, um, you know, it's not uncommon to see if I'm working a shift in the emergency department to see at least one patient where there's concern for stroke. Now, like I said, it might not always be a stroke, but this is something we're, we're prepared for every single day. Yeah, I, I can't give you the statistics. I do think that the better job we do with blood pressure medicines, aspirin, you know, control of your cholesterol, that sort of things, I don't think that we see as much as we used to. Um, but if you're having a stroke, you want to, you want to have everything ready for you. So we have just a few minutes left in the show uh, coming up on Loose Cannon Classics shortly after Mind Body Health, and we're really happy for everyone to be tuned in to KZYX. Our guest today has been Dr. Eric Avell Devinos, uh, emergency medicine physician at Ukiah Adventist Hospital. Our host is Dr. Marvin Trotter, and we've been talking about uh, strokes and the importance of identifying the early warning signs. And we have just enough time to give a recap on those early warning signs for people to look out for. Um, it's so important if you take something away from this show, uh, listeners, that you remember these and keep them in the back of your awareness. So we'll review these one more time, okay? So any face drooping, any arm or leg weakness, any speech difficulty like slurred speech or problems finding words to say or word salad like our caller called it, any sudden confusion, sudden trouble with walking, dizziness or balance, or a sudden severe headache, these are all warning signs for stroke. And we want anyone who has these symptoms or sees someone with these symptoms to call 911 so that we can take care of them in the emergency department as quickly as possible. There's a three-hour window, folks, to get that definitive care if it's a certain type of stroke. Um, and if it is that type of stroke and they get that care within that window, the chances of recovery um, in a full degree are pretty high. And that win how long is that window, Doctor? So we just want everyone to know that there's a, some treatment that we can give to some patients that ideally we would give within three hours of when they were last normal. So in order for us to be able to consider every possible option, seeing you within three hours of when you were last normal is ideal. But if you're not sure, just come to the emergency department right away. I think that's the most important thing. Don't worry about the window. Let us worry about that. You just worry about getting to the emergency department as quickly as possible. So I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Valdovinos uh, for doing on the show with me. And now you know who to ask for when you go to the emergency department. You Can I have that stroke doctor, Dr. Valdovinos? Um, how many shifts do you work a month now? I work um, around 12, 13 shifts a month in Ukiah. Okay. Thank you very much for doing the show. Join K KZYX. It's important stuff like this. Thanks, doctor, for being our guest. Thank you, guys. Thank you for hosting another great show, Dr. Marvin Trotter. This has been Mind Body Health, everybody. You're tuning to KZYX, and we hope you'll consider becoming a new member if you haven't already.